Beloved, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, and beginning in verse 38, uh, Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. Uh, For those who are visiting with us this morning, we have been uh, for a couple of years walking through uh, Paul's magisterial epistle to the Romans, Uh, but today for Friendship Sunday, we are uh, pausing that uh, to spend some time in Luke's Gospel chapter 10, uh, a text which I think will really touch uh, all of us uh, in our busy uh, lives. Uh, So please stand with me for the reading of God's Word, Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Would you pray with me? Our Father, on our own, in our own strength and with our own wits, we are slow, dull, We need your grace and your spirit to illumine and awaken our hearts and our minds. Would you do that, O Lord, as your word is proclaimed? Would you work and would you lead us once again to our blessed Savior? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You'll notice I entitled this message today, One Thing Necessary. One thing necessary, lessons from Mary and Martha. As a minister of the gospel for uh, 20 uh, some odd years, I have stood by the bedside of uh, many a person uh, dying. And uh, it is always uh, such a blessing uh, to be by the bedside of a saint who is trusting in Christ And on their way to eternity, I always go away from those times, I believe, more encouraged by them than I have been an encouragement uh, uh, to them. Uh, But one thing uh, that you really never hear uh, in those moments of final words, final conversations when someone is in hospice or on their deathbed is, you know, I really wish I would have watched more Netflix. I'm having regrets. I'm having... If I could have just spent a thousand more hours on Facebook, I would be at peace right now as I go to meet my Savior. You just, to even say such a thing is, is ridiculous. You know, I, I wish I wouldn't have missed those three home games over that decade of my favorite football team. If only I would have done that, I'd be dying without regrets. I could just keep going, right? The things that we 
put uh, as such priorities in our lives, when we really stop, when we are still, and we know that He is God, and we, we stop all the hustling and the bustling, and we think about the enormity of what it means to be in relationship with God or not, particularly as one day we will all die, as the Bible says, and face the judgment, we must think about our priorities in life. And, and, and here in this text, uh, we are really asked a kind of large question, and it is this. And this question is for every one of us, including the preacher who stands before you now. Are you listening to Jesus? Are you listening to him? Or are you distracted? We live in an age full of distractions, don't we? Perhaps this is the greatest age of distraction. I don't know how there could be an argument against that with all that distracts us. Perhaps it can be said that it's not weapons of mass destruction that we should be most concerned about, but weapons of mass distraction. Uh, It's everywhere. Just think of all the distractions we live with in our modern age. Let's just start with the obvious, the smartphone. What a distraction. iPads, the internet, 24-hour cable news, our laptops, email, social media, texting, sporting events, newspapers, magazines, all the mail that's coming into our mailbox, politics, video games, advertising of all sorts. And the list just goes on and on and on and on of all of the things that we are distracted by. It's like a thousand hands are pulling at us from all different directions all the time. And in so much of it, we invite it. We actually invite it into our lives. Uh, Many in the field of media ecology uh, media ecology is, a, is a, a kind of new discipline in colleges that really is just about 10 or 15 years old, and, and more and more colleges are, are starting departments on media ecology. It's a study of how uh, technology and the media uh, has an influence on our lives and on our culture. And these media ecologists are saying that young people are actually having a hard time giving attention to just one thing. Surprise, surprise, right? having a hard time giving attention to just one thing. They feel more comfortable. That is, those who are native to the digital kind of age, those who are perhaps uh, below the age of, of 25 especially, that they feel more comfortable, more normal as it were, doing five things at once rather than one. For example, if every five minutes they are not checking their email or texting or checking the web for news while working on an essay for school, they get nervous and agitated. You ever had that experience? Some educators here this morning might agree about this inability of young people to be able to concentrate on one thing for any substantial length of time, and all of this has had a negative effect on reading and writing and the quality of work. It's It's what's happening. Now our technology has become so sophisticated with AI that everyone is concerned about who is actually writing the papers, who is actually thinking about the things that the professor is asking the students to think about. But this is not just 
uh, something that affects students and those who are under 25. As, as I share these things, I have no doubt that just about everybody in the room is thinking, yeah, that's, that's, that's me. I'm, I'm distracted. So many things are distracting me. Um, how, many, how many sounds can my phone make uh, to, gra- to grab my attention? Uh, too, too many, so many. Um, by the way, I'll, I'll give you uh, just one tip, and, 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 and uh, you can just thank me for this later, okay? You can actually turn off those sounds in your phone. You know you can do that? Did you know you could do that? You could turn off the notifications so you don't have stuff coming on the front of your phone all the time, sounds, all that. Just a tip that hopefully will help. But this age that we live in is undoubtedly the great age of distraction. Even so, every age has known distraction in some measure. We are reminded of that this morning from this narrative here in Luke chapter 10. And we are also reminded that these distractions too often drag us away from what is most important in life, namely God's word and our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I will tell you this morning that everyone has a relationship with God. Uh, Some may be here this morning and think, I don't really have a relationship with God. No, everyone has a relationship with God. It's just that some relationships are bad and some relationships are good by the grace of God. Everyone has a relationship with God. Everyone will stand before him one day. Everyone is created by him. Everyone has a relationship with God. It's like a child uh, to a parent. That, that child, you may say that that child has, has uh, left the home and is no longer talking to the parents. They have no relationship with my parents. No, you do have a relationship with your parents. It's just a bad one. There's always a relationship there. And it's the same as it concerns God with all of those whom he has made. And so... Let's see what our Lord has to teach us through this uh, simple but very meaningful story in the life of Jesus Christ. First of all, look with me at verse 38. Here we have a kind invitation, a kind invitation in verse 38. It says here in verse 38, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Look, first of all, at this first sentence, which would be easy to pass over as just filler sort of material, but that's never true of God's Word. He says, now as they went on their way. And here, by writing this, Luke is reminding his readers, he's reminding us this morning, that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem. There was a transition that took place back at the end of chapter 9 of Luke, Jesus had completed his great Galilean ministry and was now, verse 51 states of chapter 9, setting his face towards Jerusalem. What would happen in Jerusalem? He was going to the cross. He was going to the cross for you and for me to die for the salvation of sinners. This is important to remember as we see this text unfolding. On his way, Jesus entered a certain village, and he was warmly welcomed into the home of Mary and Martha. 
from what we know of Martha, it seems that she took hospitality seriously, as does God's Word. It's probably the case that Martha was particularly gifted in the area of hospitality. And beloved, here we should pause for just a moment and say that whether we are gifted in hospitality or not, because there would be some that would say, I'm just not gifted in that pastor. Um, you know, it's like the husband who says, I'm not gifted in taking out the garbage. I'm sorry. It's just, I don't have that gift. Uh, someone else will have to do that. But in all seriousness, some will say, I don't have a gift of hospitality. And I understand that. I understand that some would say it's not the most comfortable thing. But even so, uh, it's important for all of God's people to to remember God's word when it says in 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And why Paul exhorted all Christians everywhere to seek to show hospitality. Having people into our homes, welcoming people into our living rooms and around our tables is a tangible way to serve others in the name of Christ and to open our lives to others. I believe that it's much easier to get entangled in sin when you are not in relationship with other people and regularly having people into your life and into the home. My prayer has always been that Christ Church would be a place where we were having each other into one another's homes. I think, you know, if every family in the church just had one family from the church or a visiting family uh, to the church in their home just once a month or even once every two months, think about the fellowship and the encouragement in Christ that that would, would generate. Uh, as I think about my own life uh, and learning really about hospitality while Marla and I lived in Edinburgh, Scotland, and were shown such kindness and hospitality by our, our Scottish friends, it, it was really something. We, we learned the tradition over there uh, particularly in this, this congregation we were in, and, and we were invited uh, every Sunday for eight or nine of our first weeks there. We didn't get the invitations before Sunday morning. It was just Sunday morning. Would you please come over for lunch? Well, sure. We're poor students. We'll come over. Absolutely. And we would come over, and, and then we'd learn the first week, especially it was kind of a shock, that you just stay the whole time till the evening service. And so as we were sitting around after lunch, uh, drinking tea and having a little chocolate, the, the husband said, excuse me, I'm going to go up and take a nap. And it's like, do I say goodbye? What's, what's happening here? And uh, then the wife kind of nods off in her chair, and Marla and I are kind of looking at each other. What do we do? There was this expectation that you're just together, you know, the whole day. Um, not that that's the only standard <laughs> for this kind of thing, but, but what we learned is that when you open your home, you really grow to know and to love each other in a way that just doesn't happen when you're only brushing up against one another on Sunday mornings. And so my prayer is that this church would be a church that extends this kind of kindness, that we would open our homes to one another. It's, it's a tangible way to love each other and to encourage one another, to have that that, that, that real focus when people come into your home to say, when they leave, I want them to be much more encouraged and built up than they were when they came. And that is, that is the goal. So Martha invited Jesus into her home, but Luke informs us that it wasn't only her home, it was her sister Mary's home. And, and their brother Lazarus, whom we learn about in John's gospel, is not mentioned here, but he also would have uh, been in this home. What is instructive 
is how these two sisters, Mary and Martha, responded to having the Messiah at their home for a meal. Look with me now at verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Mary was listening to Jesus' teaching. She was listening to the word of Christ. Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. By the word of Christ. She was listening to the word of Christ. Perhaps you, you remember God the Father's words to the disciples at the Mount of Transfiguration when he spoke to them from the clouds and said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. Those words, those three words, this exhortation was not just for the disciples who were there on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was for all of his disciples. The Father confirming the work of his Son from the clouds. This is my beloved Son. My chosen one. Listen to him. There are a lot of voices in the world. The voices from the world and the culture that are constantly streaming in through our screens, through our gadgets, constantly telling us what to think, what our ideas should be about various important aspects of life. You know, it's like a constant catechism class from the world that's constantly going on. We, we, we rarely guard ourselves from it as we ought. But there's that word that's always coming in. There's the word from our own hearts. Words of worry, anxiety, distrust, deceitful words. Our, our hearts can be deceitful within ourselves. All of these words. But God the Father says, listen to my son. Listen to his word. Listen to him. Mary was listening to him. The Son of God was on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to the cross. On the way, he's entered the home of these two sisters, and Mary is sitting at his feet, listening to Jesus. What's Martha doing? What's Martha doing? Well, she's making preparations. She's, she's serving. But as we will learn, her serving is distracting her from Jesus. Look at verse 40 with me. But Martha was distracted with much serving. You see the contrast here. Already we really sort of can anticipate what is going to be said at the end of this story, that Mary has done the better thing. But, but here, as things are developing, we have Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to him, but Martha was, what? Distracted with much serving. And she went up to Jesus and said, so here's Martha irritated with the eternal Son of God. Amazing. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Tell her then 
to help me. Well, there are a number of important things to be considered here. The first thing is this. Martha, we are told, was distracted with much serving. Now, some might think, what is, um, what's going on here? Uh, it seems like Martha's getting a bad rap here. I mean, who's going to clean and prepare and, and cook and then clean afterwards? Uh, who's going to cook the food? It can't prepare itself. The table will not set itself. Someone's got to do it. And some may have thought that as we were reading through this text. But as we'll see more clearly, it wasn't her service that was the problem, but rather the excessive amount of serving and also her attitude during the serving. This brings us to the next consideration, namely that Martha's serving was excessive. Uh, John Calvin has some helpful comments here. It says this, quote, Martha, by distracting her attention and undertaking more labors than was necessary, deprived herself of the advantage of Christ's visit. Once again, picture the scene here, beloved. The promised and long-awaited Messiah, the eternal Son of God in the flesh, is in their humble home. He's under their roof, in their living room, stopping for a short visit on his journey to Jerusalem in order to give his life and accomplish redemption in the fullness of times. What a privilege, what a joy, what a a sobering providence that, that he's there. And God's Messiah is preparing to complete his mission on Calvary, and he's making a visit to your home. And so consequently... This is not the time for Mary and Martha to be concerned about getting out the fine china and the silver and the cloth napkins and spending all day making preparations in the kitchens. Jesus, take a seat in there. We'll see you in a couple of hours when we're ready for the meal to be prepared. It was time to prepare a simple meal and spend time with Jesus. You see, please hear this. This is so important. It wasn't that Martha didn't love Jesus as much as Mary or that her serving in and of itself was uncalled for. It was that her excessive serving was distracting her from the very one she was seeking to please. Her excessive serving was distracting her from the very one she was seeking to please. Indeed, in her much serving of Jesus, she became distracted from Jesus. Is that even possible to be so busy serving Jesus that you're distracted from Jesus? The answer is yes. Yes. You could even be distracted from Jesus by heavy rainfall during a church service (laughs) and wondering if your windows are down. I hope you didn't drive your convertible this morning. But she's not only distracted from Jesus... She, it it seems, is frustrated with him. (laughs) So think about this. Not only is she distracted from Jesus in her excessive busyness and, and, uh, and, and preparations, and the Son of God is in her living room, and she's not spending time with him, but she's actually, on top of that, frustrated with him because Mary's not serving, and she thinks he should be saying, you need to go and serve. 
So secondly, we see that Martha served with a bad attitude. Her, her warm welcome turned into excessive service, and her excessive service turned into a meltdown of frustration, and her meltdown of frustration turned into self-pity, and her self-pity turned into a poor display of words where she both questioned Jesus' concern for her and exhorted him to tell her sister to get herself into the kitchen. I'm glad we've never done this kind of thing. Yes, we've all been there. Beloved, here we are reminded that our service to Christ, when unchecked and excessive, can actually distract us from Jesus. Uh, When I have the chance to speak to fellow ministers, and I have been encouraged on this from other ministers and books that I've read, but whenever I get a chance, the one thing that I want them to hear in some part of Whatever it is I'm saying to these ministers and whatever context or subject is, don't let ministry distract you from Jesus because it can become so mechanical that no longer are you ministering out of a personal, warm, and vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, but you are doing all of these things mechanically and out of your own strength and out of an empty well. But that's not just a word to ministers. It's a word to all Christians that we would not seek to live the Christian life with an empty well, to be distracted from our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but to have a warm and vibrant faith, one that is spending time with Christ in His Word, perhaps daily even, in personal devotions. Perhaps you're one who can remember a long time ago when those devotions were a part of your life and you were growing and you were hungering and thirsting after time with Christ, but that was a long time ago and no longer is that a reality for you. Maybe it's been months, maybe it's been years. Maybe some sin pattern has distracted you from Jesus. And in a way that is what devil, the devil wants, he is He has made you comfortable with this particular sin pattern in your life. And so you don't even really see it as being that big of a deal anymore when it is a massive deal, truly distracting you from fellowship with Christ and communion with God. You see, even the good things that we do can distract us from Christ and affect our attitudes in Christian service, being irritable towards others and even towards God. It can make us self-righteous. It's the one thing I have seen in my own heart and, and certainly have noticed over the years that those who are excessive in service and doing it in their own strength, they will sometimes become bitter and self-righteous towards others. I'm doing all this. What are they doing? How often have we made ourselves so busy that we no longer have even the time to sit at the feet of our Savior and learn from Him, to sit quietly and to learn from His Word. And this is an important point. These distractions from Christ and His Word may, like in this case with Martha, be lawful things or good things in and of themselves, like church activities or mission involvement or family time or sporting events or vacations or leisurely activities of all sorts. Uh, They may become 
That which slowly drags us away from what is most important in life. That which should be the priority. That one thing necessary. Especially when we do these things in excess. Indeed, it's when we become much distracted with these kinds of things that our relationship with Christ becomes marginalized and we are no longer listening to Him. Or if we are, it's not very often or very attentively. And what happens is our Lord's Day worship attendance, it it decreases. Our family worship is less of a priority. Uh, Our private worship, our personal uh, worship uh, in our favorite chair with our Bible and, 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 and perhaps a prayer book, it, it gets relegated amidst a sea of small distractions. In short, the word of Christ becomes less central in our lives, and so then does our Savior. And so let me ask this morning, is this the case with you? Is this the case with you? It's, it's in part why we gather for worship on the Lord's Day to be confronted with our sin and our need for Christ and our need to repent and to hit the reset button. You know the drill when things aren't working on your computer. The one thing you should do is to to turn it off and then to turn it back on. And a lot of times your problem is taken care of. Well, there are times we need to Stop, be still, evaluate our lives, examine our hearts, repent of our sin and our idolatry and the myriad ways that we fill our lives and seek to fill the void in our lives with all kinds of stuff and to turn from that and to look to Christ for grace and mercy and forgiveness, which he offers in abundance, and then to live that life by the power of the Holy Spirit, growing in Him, never perfectly, never perfectly the side of heaven, but in a growing way, living by faith. And so, we have to ask ourselves, has my relationship with Jesus and my attention to His Word been sidelined by excessive and unguarded busyness? Are we like Martha? Are we like Martha? distracted from Jesus and his word. And may I say something direct this morning. If you have no compulsion to read your Bible during the week, no compulsion in your heart to spend time with the Lord, to listen to him, but your heart is drawn towards rather the things of the world, all the things I mentioned before, that there's no real hunger or desire there to spend time. I'm not saying those who have gotten off track, who really do desire and have found themselves distracted and so forth. I'm talking about if there is no desire in your heart to spend time with Christ in his word, it doesn't even enter your mind. Even now, as I say these things, you're thinking, I will never do that then I will say you must, must consider whether or not you know Christ. Because if you know Christ, you will want to know more of him. You will want to please him. 
you will want to spend time with him by grace through faith. Being a Christian isn't to be one in name only. It is not to be one who merely professes Christ, but does not truly know him by grace through faith, having a personal saving relationship with him. You know, being distracted from Jesus and his word is a precarious place to be. It leaves us vulnerable to the attacks of Satan and to the temptations of the world and the deceits of our own hearts. It leaves us, in a way, without the armor of God on our bodies, spiritually, vulnerable on the battlefield. Being distracted from Jesus can lead to much more than a bad attitude. It can lead to sins on a much grander scale. This is why it is so paramount for our Christian lives and witness to be under the preaching of God's Word on the Lord's Day and that our households would be places where the Bible is opened, where we're spending time with Him as individuals and families. And so Martha was much distracted in her serving. Her serving was excessive. Her attitude was poor in her serving. All the while, Mary is doing what? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching. Now, throughout church history, some have interpreted this story to mean that the contemplative life is the best one. And so, if you want to be a real committed Christian, then you join a monastery or a convent. That's the way this has been interpreted in the past. If you're really serious about listening to Jesus, then you should become a monk or a nun and just read your Bible all day long and pray all day long in silence. But that's not what this passage is teaching at all. It's not teaching a merely uh, contemplative life. Rather, it's teaching us about what is most important in life, what is the priority and what is most necessary. Perhaps you uh, have heard or or read uh, the illustration of the uh, jar uh, and the way that we fill our lives. And it's a, an illustration to help us to see the priority. And, and it's a, uh, there's a speaker and there are people with, uh, around listening. And he says, okay, I've got this jar and, um, and I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to fill it up. Uh, and he, so he takes these big rocks and he puts the rocks in the jar. And he says, okay, is it full? And they see this jar with all these big rocks. And they're like, yeah, it's full. He says, uh, no, it's not. And so he uh, gets some smaller rocks, and he puts them in there, and it kind of fills up these little pebbles. It fills up to the top, and he says, is it full? And I say, oh, yeah, it's full now, Professor. Absolutely. Uh, no, it's not. And he gets out some sand, and he pours the sand in, and it goes in there, and it fills all the little crevices, and it gets in there. Is it filled now? Of course, they know what to say now. Uh, they don't know why. They think it's filled. They, uh, no, it's not filled, Professor. You're right. Gets out some water. Pours the water in, goes up to the top. And he says, all right, what's the point? And uh, Johnny, you know, front row, uh, raises his hand and says, I know, Professor, it's to get as much, as many things stuffed into our lives as possible. And he said, no, no, that's not it at all. The point is you put the big rocks in first. You put the big rocks in first, you fit the big rocks in first, and then the other things come later. The priority. What takes priority 
in our lives? What is first? What is the one thing necessary? Well, we see this underscored in Christ's words in verses 41 and 42. Look there with me. And here we see a gentle rebuke in verse 41. After being asked by Martha if he cared about her and her situation, and after being exhorted by Martha to put her sister to work, he says this, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Could we put your name in that sentence? I know I could put my name there. You are anxious and troubled about many things. Thank God that in Christ He carries our burdens, that He asks us as a loving Father to cast our cares and anxieties upon Him because He cares for us. Dear believer, whatever you are anxious and troubled about, just know this, that God loves you, He cares for you, He sent His Son to die for you. Know this, our names could be here too, but this is Martha. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. The double vocative highlights Christ's love for Martha and His patience with her. He shows the same love and patience with us in our anxious times, in our wanderings. And it appears that Martha's anxiety and troubles went deeper than her current circumstances, which is so often the case when someone is is rude or or someone is is very anxious or troubled. It's seemingly about something small, but there are deeper things, deeper issues, which we can discover if we take time to ask and to pray for that person. So Jesus is leading her back to that which is most necessary, most important in life, and He gives her this loving instruction. He says, One thing is necessary, verse 42, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. This will not be taken away from her. This is that which moth and rust cannot destroy. Houses, cars, vacation homes, clothing, trips, all of these things which, which are so in the forefront of our lives, which take up so much of the bandwidth of our hearts and our lives and our affections, we cannot take with us. It will not last, but Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. What is this good portion, you may ask? The text doesn't specifically say, but doesn't the picture that Jesus paints make it clear nonetheless? The good portion is His Word, the Word of Christ, a feasting upon the Word of Christ. Martha was making the meal for the physical body, which is important, but what Jesus was offering was a meal, a feast for the spiritual. Rather than prepare something more simple in the kitchen and then feast upon the Word of Christ, Martha overdid it and was distracted from the Word and irritated with Mary and with Jesus, feeling sorry for herself. But Mary, perhaps already having done her part for the meal, maybe she made the green bean casserole beforehand, But whatever the case may be, she sat at Jesus' feet and feasted upon His life-giving, life-transforming Word, that 
word that brings the dead to life, that word that heals the sick, the, the word that, that quiets violent storms, that word that causes fish to jump into nets, that, that word which, which heals the lame, and that word that will one day throw an already defeated Satan into the eternal abyss. It's that word that Mary is listening to. She chose the good portion, and this, dear friends, will not be taken away from her and will not be taken away from you. The grass withers and the flowers fade, and food will be consumed, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Perhaps this brings to mind those memorable words. Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, beloved, are you, by God's grace, choosing the better portion? That is, are you humbly sitting at Jesus' feet, receiving His free grace, chiefly devoted to His kingdom, seeking His kingdom first? Or are you distracted with much serving and much striving after other things? Are you, like Martha, distracted from Jesus? One writer helpfully put it this way, quote, The worries of life should never prevent one from consuming God's word. This is Luke's message to Christ's followers. Sit at Jesus' feet and devour his teaching since there is no more important meal. There is no more important meal than Christ's words. Before we close, one final point must be made from this text. Let us not be so focused on our loving service for Christ in the church, in our families, in the community, that we, for, that we forget to first be receivers of grace from Christ. Dear ones, let us not so get caught up in serving Christ and praising Christ that we forget to receive from Him. We can get so caught up in striving that we forget to receive from Christ His grace that we might continue on and persevere in the faith. We must first come to Christ as receivers and then doers. For if we come to Him chiefly as doers and not receivers, we will end up frustrated living in our own strength, wrongly receiving God's acceptance and approval through our good works. But if we come to Him chiefly as receivers of His grace, if we come as dependent children trusting in Him alone for justification and sanctification, attentively, consistently, and eagerly listening to His Word in public and in private, then our service will not distract us from Christ. It will glorify Him. It will glorify Him. The launching pad of our service must always be our abiding in Christ, receiving from Christ through His Word and sacrament and all received by faith. You remember the old covenant people of God in the wilderness, traveling as pilgrims to the promised land. They were receiving the manna from heaven. And Christ said, I am the true manna. He tells us in John's gospel, I am the bread of life. He who eats of me shall never die that second death. He is the Word made flesh. And it's through His living and abiding Word that we, His church, are saved, gathered, protected, preserved, 
all unto eternal life. So we must listen. Listen to his gospel. Listen to his gospel. A gospel that isn't do better and be better, then maybe God will love you enough to let you into heaven. That is the gospel from hell. That's a gospel that distracts people from the real good news. And what's that real good news? That real good news is that though we have failed to keep God's law as we ought, as we have been created to, and thus we have fallen short of the holiness of God and the standards of God, and there's that separation between God and man because of our sin, God, by His love and His grace, sent His Son down to earth. We don't climb up to God. God came down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And he did what we fail to do every day. He lived his entire life for 33 years, obeying the law perfectly, sinlessly, faultlessly, flawlessly. He is the spotless Lamb of God. And then after 33 years, he went to the cross to do what? to pay for our sins, to pay the debt that we owe, because there must be the payment for sin if God is to be just. And there was, so that he is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so Christ died on the cross, and our sins were nailed to the cross. He bore our sin and shame, and God the Father poured out his wrath upon his Son so that we would not ever have to experience that wrath. And then he died because the wages of sin is death. And so Christ died. And on the third day, he rose from the dead, conquering sin and hell and death and Satan for sinners like us. He rose from the dead and later ascended into heaven where he is now. And we are waiting for his return. But this Jesus came to die and to rise for sinners. My question for you this morning is, do you know him? Have you ever received him as your Lord and your Savior? There's not a list of things for you to do before you can come to Christ. Christ doesn't say, clean up yourself and come to me. He says, come to me and I will save you. And I will begin a process in you called sanctification. And so those who are in Christ, who have received Christ, now stand before God, no longer condemned, but forgiven, justified, Not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. And then in Christ, a process begins whereby he transforms us day by day, week by week, month by month. He makes us more and more like Christ, dying to sin, living to righteousness. This is the good news. It's the good news that Christ would have been sharing with Mary and which Martha did not hear because she was helping make the meal and was much distracted. Dear ones, we must all ask this question. Are we seeking after the better portion? Are we seeking after the better portion, which will never be taken away from us? Or are we distracted from Christ and his word? By God's grace, may we all steadfastly partake of the better feast. We are about to have a feast in a few minutes. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. And for those who are uh, single here uh, this morning, uh, what a great time to be at a meal.
okay? Just all the food, all the food you can eat, wonderful homemade meals, and it's going to be amazing. But it's nothing compared to the feast of the Word of Christ, which nourishes our faith, which strengthens our souls, which most importantly directs our eyes and our hearts and our affections to Christ and all his resurrected and ascended and exalted loveliness and perfection. And he says, come to me. Come to me with all your anxieties and your troubles and your sin and your past. Come to me with all of that and you will receive forgiveness and pardon and mercy and everlasting life. You will receive that which will never be taken from you. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in such a simple story, there is so much to be learned, so much to be gained, namely Christ. And so we pray, Lord, he would be our portion and that his word would be that which we long after and hunger after, that we would choose the better portion. And we pray this in Jesus' name.